Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for checking out the History of Things podcast. I am your host, Mark, and a huge shout out to those of you who are brand new. I hope I can entertain you, and those of you that are return listeners, thank you so much for coming back and checking this out again. Today, I need to say another huge thank you to our neighbor down the alleyway, Robin, for loaning me her USB mic. I've been looking for some new equipment to better the quality of the podcast, and this mic that she's loaned me is working fantastic, and I think I'll be getting one of them for myself. So thank you, Robin. It was a huge help. Today's topic is going to be on the history of pacemakers. It's an interesting one. You're going to want to stick around. So this is a topic a little closer to home for me. I spent about 13 years in the funeral industry, actually. I worked for the biggest funeral conglomerate on the planet, based out of Houston, Texas. And it was a fascinating industry for me, actually. I learned a lot, and I kind of missed the, the industry. But I'm on to bigger and better things now, and life is good. But I did some cremation work for them and and, uh, body removal, helped out on services, drove limos and hearses, and even did a couple of embalmings under my belt and stuff as well. And uh, it was just so neat. Learned so much, saw so much. And uh, so, yeah, I really wanted to know where this whole pacemaker thing came from because we needed to learn how to remove them before cremation. So, without further ado... Grab a comfy chair, grab your cold beverage, and let's get on with the show, shall we? So, it was a guy by the name of John Hopps, H-O-P-P-S, that created the implantable pacemaker. He was born in Winnipeg in 1919. He made a multitude of contributions to the field of medicine the pacemaker being one of them. He got a degree in electrical engineering from the University of Manitoba back in 1941. The National Research Council in Ottawa recruited HOPS in their Division of Radio and Electrical Engineering Department, and he would remain there with them for the remainder of his career. He worked on a variety of innovations in what was the new field at the time of biomedical engineering. He became the head of the medical engineering team, and together they developed a plethora of devices that would improve the quality of life for many. Some of these innovations helped with blindness, muscular disabilities, and even advanced in diagnostics used for ultrasound. He also advanced cardiovascular research by developing cardioscopes for uh, post-operative monitoring, cathode ray tubes for the displays in the cardiac operating rooms, and for respiration as well, heart rate monitors, and of course, the reason why we're here today, the pacemaker. Uh, 
Hops studied the use of radio frequency reheating and its use for pasteurizing beer in Ottawa in the 1940s. This was a project that Hops was incredibly devoted to, but in 1949, when the Banter Institute in Toronto came calling, he was annoyed that their task would get in the way of his beer pasteurization project, but little did he know that this assignment would have groundbreaking effects in the lives of cardiac patients around the world. In the Banner Institute was a cardiac surgeon by the name of Wilfred Bigelow, B-I-G-E-L-O-W, and his research assistant, or buddy, John Callahan. I used to have a gym teacher named John Callahan. Uh, they were using hypothermia to slow down the heart enough to allow open-heart surgery to take place. Bigelow and Callahan were stymied by how to induce the heart contractions during the hypothermia. Hops figured out that an electrical impulse would cause the heart to contract, and repetitive stimuli, or aka pacing, would allow the heart to keep contracting for a prolonged period of time. After a series of experiments, Hops and his team were able to refine this process for pacemaker-induced cardiac stimulation. So the first pacemaker prototype was designed in 1950 when Hops went back to the National Research Council with his new findings for these experiments, or from these experiments. This prototype looked like a radio. It was like 30 centimeters in length, and it used vacuum tubes to create the pulses. It ran off of a 60 hertz household current. And his next invention were things called transvenous, or transvenous catheter electrodes. These devices would eliminate the need to cut open the chest to attach the pacemaker to the heart. Instead, it went through an outer jugular vein. The design of these catheter electrodes that were used with the first pacemaker are still being used in today's plantable versions of pacemakers. All of Hop's early work helped to develop the implantable pacemaker. With the help of the then new technology called transistor circuitry, the batteries were able to diminish in size, which then allowed the pacemaker to be made into an implantable version. There was a fellow by the name of Rune, R-U-N-E, Elmquist, E-L-M-Q-V-I-S-T. And this guy engineered the first implantable pacemaker. He used two transistors, and that was set in a British Kiwi shoe polish tin. This pacemaker was then implanted into its patient, a Mr. Arne Larson, L-A-R-S-S-O-N. It was a surgeon by the name of Ake, A-K-E, Senning, S-E-N-N-I-N-G, that performed the surgery. And unfortunately, the world's first pacemaker in a shoe polish tin only lasted three hours. So the patient, Larson, a 43-year-old man with a complete heart block and strokes Adams attacks, 
would receive a second pacemaker and it ceased to function after a week. Larson would undergo a total of 26 pacemaker implants throughout his life until his death in 2001 of unrelated causes. So before this podcast, I had never even heard of heart block Stokes Adams. Uh, That's when the top of the heart isn't communicating with the bottom half. Both halves might still be They might still be pulsating, but they're not pulsating at the right times. They're not in sync. If you're a mechanic, that'll make sense with your engines, like your valves aren't in sync with the pistons, basically. So I learned that there's a second type of pacemaker, and it's called a cardiac resynchronization therapy pacemaker. The difference with this pacemaker... A little uh, slip of the tongue there. But the uh, difference with this pacemaker is that it actually has a third wire lead. And this lead is placed on either a vein, or sorry, in a vein, or on the surface of the left ventricle. This pacemaker will stimulate both ventricles simultaneously. This is referred to a biventricular pacing and it minimizes electrical delay, which then gives the heart a more coordinated contractions. So pacemakers today are constantly getting smaller and more efficient and smarter and last longer. Their goal is no longer just to preserve life, but to improve it as well. Thanks to people like Hops, Larson, and Senning, a better quality and longevity of life can be had for so many people. They change the medical world as we know it today. Just a couple of interesting facts here. So usually the procedure to implant a pacemaker into someone takes about two hours. And a person who has a pacemaker may need to uh, have it checked every three to six months, just make sure everything is working properly. And nowadays, the batteries in these pacemakers last anywhere from six to eight years. So a lot better than just a week or three hours. (laughs) Um, In my line of work, we were actually trained how to remove pacemakers because if the person was getting cremated, pacemakers have a built-in battery in them and they don't like heat. So, of course, that would cause an explosion during the cremation and that could... Uh, that could damage the retort or if the cremationist happened to open the door to check on the the cremation process and that exploded at the same time that could be a a deadly uh, deadly consequence so um, so yeah we were shown how to remove them it's just a simple incision around the pacemaker if somebody is extremely skinny you will see it plain as day so little incision, you pop it out um, with your hands, cut the wires, and the way you go. It's actually very simple. But thank you very much for checking out this episode today. Hopefully it was somewhat entertaining and educational. And if you've made it this far and, and you enjoyed the episode and are enjoying the podcast in general, please give me a five-star five star rating. It really helps to get my name out there. It does a world of good for the podcast itself. Let me know if you would like to know more about the funeral industry 
maybe the history of the funeral coach or the hearse or maybe history of embalming, that kind of stuff. Um, I would definitely like to know more about the history side of things and I could add a few of my own experiences in the industry as well. Thank you again for your time and checking this out and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care.